0: Let me uh, pray for us, and uh, we're going to jump into and continue, um, uh, this is week number three of, uh, in our journey through, uh, it's really Jesus preaching uh, to us, um, uh, Jesus, uh, we're looking at uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7, we spent two weeks uh, looking at uh, the attitudes uh, that Jesus has called us uh, to have, known as uh, the be attitudes, attitudes we are to be and to become. Uh, And he started his entire sermon, his entire message, focusing on attitudes, uh, because, you know, if we just didn't have the right attitude, it would lead to some really wrong actions. And as we talked about uh, in the last two weeks, our actions ultimately reveal heart, reveal character, reveals the man, reveals the woman uh, of who we are. And so uh, this morning, we're going to just jump into um, what I think is a pretty phenomenal invitation, Uh, And it's not even so much an invitation, it's more of a declaration uh, of who we are. Uh, I know many people, uh, including myself, uh, for a better part of my life, wrestled with this question of, who am I? Um, Because if you don't really know who you are, you'll have a very difficult time figuring out what you are to do. And so many people wrestle with this question of, who am I? And we go through life, well, I'm not that, and then we try this over here, well, I guess I'm not that. And uh, one of the most amazing things is, this morning, that question will be answered, uh, not by me, but because Jesus says, this is who you are. Uh, And if we would just embrace who Jesus uh, says we are, I wonder how much, how different our lives would look, Uh, rather than searching to create something uh, in hopes to answer the question of who are you, um, but embrace who Jesus says, you are this, and we'll get into that, so Father God, would you uh, please uh, be good to us uh, this morning, as you already have. Uh, God, just continue not only to invade uh, this space, uh, but invade each of us. Um, God, you know every single man and woman that is in here uh, this morning. You know just hearts and minds and where people are at. You know struggles and frustrations that people have and questions and doubts and hurts and pains. And God, you, just, you know everything. You're God. And uh, so, Father, I pray this morning that uh, you would speak. Please, uh, be generous with your voice, and I pray um, we would hear, and we would be responsive uh, to the things that you have uh, for us in this place uh, this morning. So God, we give you thanks in advance. We know that you not only hear prayer, but answer prayer, and so we just say thank you um, uh, just for being faithful and uh, for being gracious uh, to each of us. Pray that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Halloween was uh, this past week. Yesterday, How many people got dressed up, fessed up, be honest? All right, a few of you. It was interesting, some people I talked to this week, they were absolutely stressed out about, I don't know who I'm going to be. And um, they spent the better part of the week um, dreaming about who, who am I and who should I be and what costume would definitely bring out, you know. Uh, and it was a chaotic week because they were just like, I don't know who I am and who I'm going to be. Um, I haven't been to a costume party in uh, 20 years almost, 1992. So that's, what is that, about 17, 18 years, give or take? And I wasn't going to share this with you, but I tend to just ramble up here, so I'll ramble. So 1992, I was a huge fan of uh, a certain 80s glam metal band, uh, affectionately known as Guns and Roses. And uh, I had a slight man crush on, a, um, <laughs> on the lead singer, uh, Axl Rose. And um, so I was like, what better person to dress up as uh, than Axl Rose? And I actually had longer hair uh, at this time. And so this is my outfit, because if you ever saw Axl Rose in concert, which I hope you didn't, um, but if you did, uh, he literally would come out in concert in uh, a glorified speedo, basically, uh, it was basically like uh, biker pants, not like biker Harley pants, but like uh, a biker wears tight spandex uh, type of things. Uh, a leotard basically, and um, uh, and then he would have a uh, coat, uh, like a you know, a nice suit coat almost. Uh, he would have uh, a headband that was like this thick, like not like a um, uh, what's that? Uh, I uh, can't think of the lady's name, but a pretty thick headband, um, and then he had uh, black boots that were, like went up to here, and then socks that came up to here. So that's what I was that year. I actually went out in public in a uh, suit coat, white spandex, black army boots up to here, socks up to here, red bandana. Now, accompanying me, I wish I had a picture of this, um, accompanying me, look on Facebook this week. Uh, accompanying me to this uh, party was uh, my girlfriend at the time, named Slash, A.K.A. Kyla. And um, <laughs> Kyla dyed her hair jet black, and um, had—I remember correctly—she had uh, a cigarette butt hanging out of her mouth uh, the whole time, and had a T-shirt with one of those like smiley faces, right? Those white T-shirts. But Slash would wear those T-shirts with a big bullet in in the head. And so Kyla had this happy, smiley face, but there was a, hi, Kyla, how are you? <laughs> that's incredible time. Yes. So enough of that. I have not had to stress out about who I am for Halloween in the last 17 or 18 years. But um, it's interesting that uh, people actually stressed out this week about who they are going uh, to be. And that's just A bit silly, but the greater tragedy, actually, is when people stress out in life, and they live life ultimately not knowing who they are, and you might be in that place this morning of where you just, I don't know who I am, and so a question is, you are, how would you actually finish that sentence? You are who? Who? Many of us would actually fill in the blank with, well, I'm, I'm a worker and would explain this is the type of work I do to dis- describe or define who you are. And I hope that we would never use our jobs to define who we are as a person because you are so much more than the job and the paycheck that you receive each week. So you are, how would you fill in the blank? The problem is if we don't know who we are, we'll settle for being someone else. And God has designed you to be you, and he created you in his image, not in someone else's image. And so what I love about what we're going to talk about this morning is Jesus makes very clear twice with two statements that says, you are, and then Jesus actually fills in the blank for us. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of Disney, but uh, one of my favorite uh, Disney movies uh, is um, uh, The Lion King. And uh, some of you have heard me share this before, but this is theology according to, uh, to The Lion King, uh, so it's spot on, it's accurate. It's, uh, but if you are familiar with that movie, there was a kid, a uh, little, little baby lion named Simba, right? And Simba was a child of the king, and his father was Mufasa, and uh, so his father Mufasa dies, and his Uncle Scar makes him to believe that he actually was responsible for his father's death, and so Simba, in shame and uh, fear, runs away and lives in this different land, and he becomes someone totally different than he actually is. Now, this is where Disney, according to theology, gets a little bit shady, but um, Mufasa, in the clouds, appears uh, to uh, to his son Simba, and this is actually the dialogue uh, that. Mufasa has with his son, he says, Simba, you have forgotten me. And Simba replies, no, how could I? And Mufasa says, you have forgotten who you are, and so have forgotten me. Look inside yourself, Simba, you are more than what you have become. And I just, just want that to sit. This is not like a Bible verse, okay, so I'm just quoting something here. But it's very, um, it's a pretty um, powerful quote from this Kids' movie. You are more than what you have become. And his father was in, uh, exhorting him to embrace who he was as a child of the king and to go back home and take his rightful place uh, in the circle of life. And he says, How can I go back? I am not who I used to be. And he says, Mufasa says, Remember who you are. You're my son. And then the music comes on. And he goes running home and kicks Scar's butt, and the movie ends. And, than Lion King 2 is out a few summers later. <laughs> I wonder how many of us today are living less than who God has actually declared you to be. How many of us are living less than who God, not who you've declared you to be and not who the world has declared you to be, but who God has declared you to be. I wonder how many of us are settling for and living less than God's declaration over our lives. I don't know about you, but I remember the first time someone called me stupid. It didn't take long, but um, I remember a specific teacher. Uh, it's pretty amazing, our our minds, what, what things stick and what things don't stick. Uh, I remember specifically a teacher um, who literally in the middle of class just said, Uh, Michael Davis, you are just stupid. And I was like, you know, eh, somehow you probably missed the part in teaching school where you're just not supposed to say that to kids. (laughs) And I was actually pretty young. Uh, I think I was in fourth or fifth grade. And so I grew up all throughout school uh, with all sorts of learning disabilities and was in all sorts of special ed classes. But I remember that one teacher who called me stupid. And literally for a better part of my life, I lived trying to prove that I wasn't stupid. And I wonder how many times you've heard something, someone declare something over you. Could have been a teacher, it could have been a coach, it could have been a mom, a dad. Declare something over you that is ultimately just junk. It's a lie, it's false. But you spend your life, and I'll dare to say you waste your life trying to prove them wrong. I'm not this, I'm not a failure, I'm not worthless, I'm not stupid, whatever was declared over you. And I'm just excited because Jesus wipes all of that away. Whatever has been declared over you, Jesus declares truth over you and says, you are this. Let me read, Um, this is Matthew, if you have a Bible, open up to Matthew uh, chapter 5. This is fresh on the heels of uh, the Beatitudes. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, and he went through eight specific attitudes. And then he looks at this crowd, this ragtag crowd, and he says this, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's a great question we'll look at. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. The first you are by Jesus. You are The salt of the earth. Verse 14, he goes on, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp, put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Not going to get into this section, this part today. Uh, but this is the first time Matthew, who is the author of Matthew, this gospel, uh, introduces us to God as Father. Five or forty-four times, uh, God as Father is spoken of in Matthew's account, and sixteen of those references. And this is the first time here in the Sermon on the Mount uh, that Matthew refers to, or Jesus refers to, God as Father. That's pretty amazing. Jesus, one of the things Jesus will do throughout this entire message, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is reshape who you actually think God is. And he'll say, you think God is like this? You're so off. He's like this. You think he's a distant, removed, cosmic, wet blanket? He's a father. He's a good father. So Jesus declares, you are the salt of the earth, and then he declares, you are the light of the world. Now, I know that You may be actually kind of disappointed. You're like such a big setup for the you are and then all's I'm salt? I'm light? Like maybe it could have been like you are the diamonds of the earth. Or you are gold. Like you are the most precious thing that the earth can produce. You're that. He takes the most common element that was everywhere and says, that's what you are, you are salt. Now, the original audience, the first people listening to this message, uh, they would have been shocked, because they understood well the metaphor, and this is what this is, a metaphor, of what salt is, and what salt does, and, and how it acts. And they would understand very well when Jesus says, you're a city on the hill, that's who you are. I was driving this morning um, by Bunker Hill, uh, community College, and my riding mates uh, were pointing out some things about uh, Bunker Hill. And uh, I don't know if you've been to Bunker Hill, I'm not very familiar with it, so I'm not knocking it. It's clearly not Ohio State, but not everyone can be. Um, I was envisioning, if I were to walk in to Bunker Hill Community College, and I stood up before the entire school, whatever the population is, and said, you guys, you're going to change the world. You will impact and influence culture and society in a way that no one else ever will. I guarantee most people, if not all at, in that audience, would look at me and say, you're nuts. You mean the guys and the men and women over at like BU and BC and MIT and Harvard and Tufts. You've got the wrong group of people. Go to that school. That's the message they hear every day. Not us over here at Bunker Hill. Jesus is looking at this crowd of largely uneducated, marginalized, very poor, and he says this, you are the salt and you are the light. And again, I'll explain the metaphors here in a second, but to give you a picture, you will be people who will change the world forever. I just want you to sit with that for a second and and see how shocking that would be to you. Because this is what Jesus is saying to you. You, your life, will impact, will influence culture like no one else's will. Why? Because you are salt and because you are light. Right away, I said this in the beginning, you can stop stressing about who you are and trying to figure out who you are. Let God believe what God has declared you to be when he says you are salt and you are light. So obvious question is, what does it mean to be the salt of the earth? Okay, we'll walk through these two metaphors, salt and light, and hopefully have some application out of them. First question, what does it mean to be the salt of the earth? Again, it's lost in translation, maybe over 2,000 years, but they didn't have like sub-zeros and Viking refrigeration systems back in the day. Okay, the only way that they could preserve something was to... Uh, soak it in saline solution, a solution, or just cover it with salt. And so what the, the primary use of salt back in the first century, ancient times, uh, was as a preservative, to keep something from becoming utterly putrid. Have you ever seen a piece of meat uh, left out on a counter, just for a day? For two days? Try this experiment at home. It's nasty. It turns all these funky colors, it starts smelling, things, that, like, things start crawling out of it, and you're like, how did that get in there? It just gets really, really nasty, absolutely putrid. Like the kind where you, you look at it, you get that in your throat. Salt was used to make sure that especially meat and food would not get absolutely and utterly putrid. Jesus is making two statements here. The world apart from Christians, the world apart from Christ, will ultimately just rot away. It will decay. Here's a question. If you were just to take Christians out of the equation, if there was no Christ followers, if there was no people who, I mean, I'm talking about people who genuinely love Jesus and genuinely love people not just Christian by a title, but they generally have in their heart because God's placed it in their heart to love him and to love people. If you were to take away Christians, Christ followers, Christ ones from this culture, what do you think would become of the world? Jesus is saying, if you take Christ ones, Christ followers, my disciples out of the world, the world will utterly morally rot and become putrid. And so he's looking at this ragtag community of people and saying, you, you are the ones who will preserve culture from utterly rotting away. He's making a statement about what the world would become if Christ ones were not in it. And I know, at least I've heard, the argument is if Christians actually just were not part, it would be such a better place to live. I've heard people say in the church, it's actually Christians who are making the world worse. Not only are they making the church worse, they're making the world worse. They're all liars and hypocrites. You take genuine Christ following, I love Jesus, I love people, people out, the world will ultimately rot away. How does salt preserve? Okay, If you don't put salt, it will rot, it will decay, it will become utterly putrid. So how does salt actually preserve something? And the answer is it only preserves it when it's rubbed in. Okay, I mentioned before you either soak slabs of meat uh, in a saline solution or you would take salt and grind it into the meat deep within and it would be preserved for a long, long time. Okay, that's how it would be uh, meat, food would be preserved. So salt just sitting on the shelf does nothing, has no impact preserves absolutely nothing. So my question for myself and my question for us as a community is are we, are you, having a preserving impact? I'll ask it slow. Are you having a preserving impact on the world around you? I'll just give you, hopefully, a, a day, everyday example. Does your presence in the room, whatever that room might be, Does your presence in a room alter anything? By the fact that you are there, does it make any difference at all? Does the conversations change? Does the language at all change? It happens to me a lot when people, especially when they find out, oh, you're a pastor, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to drop so many of those bombs right there. So I'm kind of stuck with it just because of a title. But I wonder if I didn't have a title of pastor, would the conversations actually at all change? Would people be different because you have entered into the room? Now, I don't want this to be confused. A salty Christian, a salty Christ follower, is not one that goes into a room and just condemns people. That's not what I'm talking about. But your very presence in the room will point out just sometimes the meaninglessness of the conversations that take place. Do you ever find that when you walk into a circle of coworkers, of friends, in the workplace, places you work out maybe, and there's just a bunch of just smack talk going on, people are lying, gossiping, ripping up, cutting up other people, does it stop when you show up? To be a salty Christian is to be one that when you show up, your very presence prevents people from going to places that ultimately they don't want to go. Does that make sense? Are we having a preserving impact on the world around you? This is uh, the question, I guess, that needs to be wrestled with, is uh, how do we live in the world but how do we not look like the world? Or how do we act or interact or engage the world in which we live with ultimately without becoming like the world? And just so you understand how I'm defining world, it's just people who don't know God. They don't care about God. They don't live for God. They don't live to please God. They live as if there is no God. They are their own God. That's how I'm defining or uh, what I'm talking about, world. So, should we disengage from the world altogether? Forget them, they're all going to hell. Why would I care? Should we just completely ignore them altogether? Hopefully someone will show the way. Hopefully they'll figure it out on their own. Should we be completely indifferent towards the world, towards people who just don't know God? And just uh, could really care less. Should we live in fear of the world. Out of a handful of people act, Michael, what are you gonna do for Halloween? What do you mean, what am I gonna do? Well, are you gonna like put costumes on your kids and pass out candy? I was like, no, actually, I was gonna put black curtains all around my house, boarded up, and put big signs. Get the heck off my lawn, you pagan. What do you think I'm gonna do? <laughs> I didn't say that, by the way. But sometimes we live in such fear of wow. Michael, you're going to put bags of candy? Yeah, and I'm actually going to say hello to my neighbors when they come over. I'm going to tell them their kid looks cute, even if he doesn't. I'll lie to them. (laughs) How do we do it? How do we live in the world but not be of the world? How do we live and love and serve and engage the world but not take on its values? Uh, some folks went with me to uh, New York this past Monday for a, a great conference. And uh, one of the questions that they, uh, uh, one of the speakers just kept saying again and again, and I was like, I get it, I get it. He just said, you know, God delivered Israel. He delivered the people uh, from Egypt. But he said, did Egypt actually ever leave the people? And as I was wrestling with that this week, God has delivered, God has rescued, God has redeemed us from the world, from people who are indifferent towards God to people who love God. But has the world left me? Its cravings, its desires, its affections, its worldviews. First John 2 says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the father but from the world the world and its desires pass away but the man who does the will of god lives forever lives forever john says do not love the world or anything in it how can we love the world but not everything in it jesus says this my prayer is that you uh, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them Jesus didn't like just say, okay, I'm going to save you and then bring you up to heaven. You're gone. Jesus said, I want you to stay in the world, and I will be praying protection over you. John 20, verse 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. This is post-resurrection of Jesus. As a father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus did not tell us to run away from people who do not know God, love God fear God, worship God. Jesus said, go to them. Be salt in the culture. Be salt with people. What does it look like for God to rub you into the world in which you live? If salt was going to preserve, it needed to be soaked or rubbed into that which it was seeking to preserve. So what does it look like for God to, Physically take you and rub you into the world in which you live. So that the world in which you live, I'm talking about our small little sections, would be preserved. Just think about that question. What would it look like for you to be rubbed in? I remember uh, been thinking about college years apparently this week. But uh, my freshman year was a mess. I was just an idiot. I lived like an idiot. Uh, I knew God but could care less about God. And I lived that way. And uh, somewhere around my sophomore year, uh, God just really grabbed hold of my life in a very unique way. And I didn't recommit my life uh, to God. I just repented from sin. And I just said, I don't want to do that anymore. And I turned from that and I turned towards God. And... uh, I was a swimmer at Ohio State, and um, I I started doing things differently. And one of the things that I had to wrestle with, and I'll put it before you, is are you okay to actually be different? Because if you're not okay to be different, you'll never make a difference. I could not continue to live and act my sophomore year like I did my freshman year. And man, I went through it my sophomore year. Oh, what what do you think, you're holier than thou? No, no, I don't. I mean, the comments and the jabs, all of that kind of stuff. My nickname, and this was not as a badge of honor, this was to make fun of me, was no longer, they didn't call me Michael, they called me AJ, all Jesus. And they thought they were making fun of me, but secretly I was like, wow, that's a pretty cool nickname. (laughs) But they would use it, oh, here comes AJ, I'm like, hey guys. You know, because I did everything with them. I participated in everything. But my sophomore year, I was present, but I stopped participating. I continued to do the best I can to show up and be with them everywhere where they were, trying to be rubbed in. But I stopped participating in the conversation. I stopped participating in the parties. I was there. I was present but I had a very different participation level. And it was really neat, by the end of my sophomore year, when parties would get a little bit, um, I don't know how to explain it, but um, when hired help would come to these parties, that was my cue, say, so, you know, I'm gonna, I'll step outside. And um, I remember the first time uh, a guy followed me. And I looked, I said, where are you going? And he said, well, where are you going? I said, well, I just don't want to, I'm not going to sit here uh, for this part of the party. And he said, me either. And a few parties later, uh, two or three more guys followed, and we just stood outside. We didn't stand there in condemnation, be like, oh, those evil people. No, when it was done, we went back in and sought to love them, engage them, build relationships with them. But as I began to notice, as I was trying the best I could to be salt and preserve and be rubbed into people's lives, people's lives actually became, started to become very different. And they saw the meaningless. I was not pointing out, wow, how dark you are. They just saw how empty the darkness was. That's what will happen to you if you would be rubbed into the world You do not stand in judgment and condemnation of the world, but you stand as salt, as one who wants to preserve what is good, what is godly, what is righteous. And your very presence will begin to point out to other people, not with words and pointing fingers. Wow, this is just meaninglessness. This is just empty. Why am I talking like this? Why do I continue... You will have a preserving impact on people. Jesus raises a very good question, and um, uh, I'll tell you this very quickly. And um, I said preserving salt preserve. That was its main characteristic. But a second characteristic, which we would all be familiar with, is it creates a thirst. Like you can't have just one chip, right? You've got to have a bunch. It just, they're so good. Uh, so it creates a thirst in us, salt does. And it also uh, creates, um, adds taste. The other night, I got to go to a cool restaurant, Cheesecake Factory, got a nice steak because someone else was buying. And, um, you know, it's amazing how just a little bit of salt changes the whole flavor of a steak. Doesn't take much. Just a few drops of salt, I killed it with salt, but just a few drops of salt completely changes the flavor of that entire steak. So when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, preserve. And secondly, a taste and a thirst. And so the question that I wanted to ask is, is your life creating a thirst for God and others? The way people see you live. Are other people getting thirsty for what you have? Just by the way you live, your hope, your contentment, Your peace, your joy, your response to trials, when you get flipped upside down, are you creating a thirst for God in others because of how you walk with God and how you live for God? A taste. We don't do this well. Most people don't enjoy being around Christians because we don't taste good. We're judgmental, we're critical, we're mean. That's the reputation. Christians should taste great metaphorically speaking. Just in case anyone was confused. Like when people leave your presence, they should literally just say, "Man, I enjoyed being with that person." Why? Cuz they just they're so encouraging. They're so generous. They're so gracious. They're so kind. They're so forgiving. And your name before every one of those. Rather, I can't stand being around that person. I feel terrible about myself every time I'm around that person. Why? Well, because they remind me of how wrong I am or how closed minded I am. Like, there has to be something in us where we do create a thirst for God, where we do create a taste, where people don't walk away from you saying, I hope I never see that that man or that woman again. Rather, they would say, I can't wait to be around them because they encourage, they love. Jesus asks this question, what happens if you lose your saltiness? You might be sitting here thinking, you know, I'm not that salty of a Christ follower anymore. Jesus says, what happens, uh, verse 13, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, How can it be made salty again? And he says, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, trampled by men. Sodium chloride, scientifically, it cannot lose its taste. Okay? This is not what Jesus is talking about. It becomes tasteless. But what happens is when salt becomes diluted with impure substances, it becomes worthless as a preservative. What happens when your life becomes so diluted with other chemicals and other substances, you're just not that salty. There's nothing in you that's preserving. Taste thirst. Jesus says very boldly, the Christian that becomes diluted, they become saltless, thrown out, trampled under their... Worthless. So I ask the question, if you are feeling like that this morning, if you feel like you've just lost your saltiness. I wanted to encourage you uh, to do three things. First thing is identify that which is diluting you right now and then destroy it. So what's diluting your saltiness? Identify what it is that's, coming into you that you're allowing into you that is just killing your ability to be salt. Once you've identified that, all right, let me ask this question. What is being poured into you that is redefining you? Maybe that's a better way to say it. Something that's being poured into you, you're allowing in that's ultimately reshaping, redefining who you are as salt. Repent of that. Get rid of it. Doesn't matter what it is. Be done with it so that you are not a diluted, polluted person. You're salt. You preserve. You create thirst. You taste good. Identify, repent, and then the third thing is just pray. God, please give me a new heart. I love Psalm 51 because it reminds me that my heart can be recreated by God, in me a new heart, a clean heart, a pure heart. God is the creator of all things, and he can create in you something that you have damaged, destroyed, polluted. Identify, repent of that, and then just pray, God, give me a new heart. Another question I've been wrestling with is just what happens when a church, and I'll pick on our church, what happens when Genesis loses its saltiness? Those doors should be shut. God will close us down. What happens when a church refuses to be who God's declared us to be? Salt. Preserving the culture, the community in which we have been strategically placed. A church that tastes good to people who would come. And I don't just mean on Sunday between 10 and noon. The people who watch you, watch me, interact with you, interact with me. I pray that God would guard us and protect us from ever becoming a saltless church. Because there's just no place for it in God's kingdom. D.L. Moody, in um, me, solid, just godly man, when someone asked him about the church and relating to the world and to the culture in which the church lives, he answered the question like this: "The place for the ship is in the sea, but God help the ship if the sea ever gets into it." The place for the ship is in the sea, but God help the ship if the ship, if the sea ever gets into it. God's strategically placed this church in this community, in this culture, in this time. But God, help us, protect us from the sea, ever diluting, polluting, contaminating who you are, who we are. I'm going to go through this last one real quick. And it's um, uh, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill, it cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl instead. They put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise who? Your Father. Reshaping how we understand God. Praise your Father in heaven. You ever been in a really dark place, like Silence of the Lamb basement seemed dark? If you ever saw that movie, okay? Like, ever been in it where you can't see the hand, your own hand in front of you? Like, it is freaky. I, I mean, like, it's scary when you can't see your own hand in front of you. And you walk like this and you bump into something, your heart attack. Like, if you've ever been in a really dark, dark place, tripping and falling and stumbling, What is the one thing that you just, just give me a glimmer of light? Like, do you believe the world is as dark as the Bible actually says it is? Like, we live in a very dark, dark world. And some people, and Jesus actually alludes to this. um, I'll just read it. Jesus says this in John 3. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved the darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. People love darkness because light exposes who they are, and they don't like who they are, so they'd rather remain in darkness. Like it was really sad last night. I stayed home. My kids, uh, Tristan was a little robot, Riley was the sweetest looking Snow White you ever seen blonde hair. She had black hair, but it's cool. And uh, Caden was the best, biggest, toughest OSU football player ever. And uh, so they're walking around the neighborhood collecting candy for me. And um, (laughs) that's what it's all about, let's be honest. And um, I was really sad to see how many kids were dressed like death. I mean, it was sick. I had one kid come out. He couldn't have been more than five or six years old, had a black Um, robe on and the scream mask, but this scream mask was technologically advanced. It had blood in it. This little kid, he would pump uh, something in his hand and goes up his arm and there's blood coming down his mask. And his parents are standing right next to him like, oh, how are you? I'm like, do you you want me to counsel you right now? Like, (laughs) what have you done to your child? Three girls come up to my door. They could not have been more than six, seven, eight years old, looked like sisters, and I am not exaggerating. We want to eat your brain. We want to eat your brain. And I'm like, listen, all I got is candy. <laughs> and, uh, and the mom, I'm like, and she's like, Zombieland? And I'm like, I've heard of the movie. That's what you dressed your kids up as? I was like, are you sick? And she was dressed as a zombie as well. Like, we are drawn to darkness. We are drawn to death. We even dress like death. Why is it that the culture that we live in, as Jesus says, uh, light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead because their deeds were evil? So Jesus declares this, that you are the light of the world. The way you live should point back the way to God. Just sum it up like that. He looked at a people that were Pressed down, and he said, You're going to be the city on a hill. The way you live will be so bright that the darkness will not overcome that. You are the light of the world. A question that um, I've been thinking about is Do I love people who are in darkness? I don't know if that sounds like an odd question, but do I love the people that are utterly just in darkness right now? Because if I don't love them, I will not go to them. And usually, I hear in the church talk circles, well, I'm, I'm just afraid to go and interact and all of these things. And I just... I wonder if it's not so much that we're afraid to interact with those who are just separated from God, lost in the darkness, have blood masks on their face. It's that we just don't love them. Like John three sixteen, God loves the world. How much? He sent His Son. Romans five eight, God demonstrates His love, for who? The world by sending His Son. If God loves the world so much, he sacrificed his one and only son so that those in the world would have a relate. How could I not but love those people in the world as well? Who am I to stand in condemnation? I'm nobody. I'm one who was lost in darkness, separated from God. And I love how this is in um, um, Colossians chapter 1. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Just know that if it wasn't for Jesus, you'd be lost and in the darkness. Uh, I'm going to finish with this. Hopefully this will... um, The question, how do you shine? Okay, I asked the question, how do you rub, God rub you into the world in which you live? Jesus gives the metaphor of, how uh, you are the light of the world. So a question is, how do you shine? Um, number one is shine where you are, not where you're not. I know that seems pretty simple, but too many of us live our lives, if I could just be over there, I would be, it would be so much better. It would be so much easier. I would do such a better job of being a Christian if I was just in that situation or in that context. Can't do it here. Shine where you are, not where you are are not. I've strategically placed lamps in my house where I want them to be. Strategically placed that they would light up the room as best as possible. Strategically placed lamps in this room as to add more light. Do you believe that God has strategically placed you as a light where you are so that you will begin to brighten up the corner of that room? I believe God has strategically placed you where you are so that you will begin to brighten up the room in which he's placed you. I believe that God has strategically placed us, this community, right here in this city so that we might be a city on a hill. Shine where you are, not where you're not. Martin Luther, a great reformer, someone asked him, just made a decision to uh, trust Jesus and become a Christian. And he comes up to Martin Luther, and he says, what should I do now? As if to say, well, should I be like a minister? Should I be a traveling evangelist? And Martin Luther, to this guy's surprise, looked at him and said, well, what is your work now? I'm a shoemaker, Luther replied. Or the, I'm a shoemaker. And then Luther replied, make a good shoe and sell it at a fair price. Wherever you work, would you do it well? Would you have a good work ethic? Would you work hard? Would you love those that you work with? Wherever you are, God strategically placed you there to be a light. Do it well. Don't grumble about where you could be, should be, and want to be. Shine where you are. And if God sees fit to strategically take you as a lamp and place you in another corner, some other building in some other place, that's up to Him. But as long as you are where you are, shine. Number two, the closer you remain to Jesus, the brighter you'll shine. We are just reflections of the true light of the world. John 8 12, Jesus declared, I am the light of the world. The farther you get away from Jesus, the less bright you'll be. Some of us are operating at like a 5, 10, 15 watt bulb. If you want to get to like the 100, 150 watt, get close to Jesus. You will begin to reflect light as you get close to light. You'll begin to radiate. If you're wondering, I'm just not that bright. How close are you to Jesus? He is the light. We reflect him. Number three, there's not an on-off switch. okay, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Many of us operate, well, I'll be a light here at this moment in time, when, it's, when I'm ready, when I'm comfortable, when I've got some other things figured out, I'll, I'll switch my little switch on. But then when it gets difficult, people start pressing into us, asking us, light goes off. There is no such thing as an on-off switch. You are the light of the world. When you came into a relationship with Jesus, he lit you up. That's it. There is no on-off switch. Shine where you are, not where you're not. The closer you remain to Jesus, the brighter you will shine. There is no on-off switch. And then I love this. The mode of shining in verse 16 is good deeds. Did you catch that, how it said in uh, the very end of uh, verse 16? Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Let people see a life well lived. Do good things for people. Like tomorrow, Set, make someone else's job easier. Like make someone else's job actually enjoyable. Do Good works. Not so that you make a big deal about you and who you are and how great you are. So that when people ask, why are you doing that? Because God has been really good to me. And I love you. I just wanted to help. I just wanted to serve. I just wanted to bless. That's it. You keep pointing people back to God. Well, who is this God that's created such a selfless person? Good deeds so that people might see who God is. First Peter, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You don't have to wonder anymore who you are. If you're a Christian, then God has declared you to be salt and to be light. That's who you are. You are first and foremost a child of God who has been declared by the Father that you are salt and light. Don't try to be someone else. Stop looking and searching and trying to figure out who you'll be and who you are and embrace who God's already declared you to be. It's pretty amazing that God would look to any one of us and say, I want you to have a preserving impact on culture. I want you to, to be a light that you would shine and point people back to God. God desires that we as a people would influence and impact the culture and community in which we live, pointing people back to Jesus. Father God, I just I give thanks that you, you make clear who we are. God, I know what it's like, because I've been there, struggled with that question of who am I. And God, I give thanks to you, Jesus, that you have clearly declared that we are salt. It's not a command, it's a statement that you made, Jesus. This is who we are, salt. God, if there is anything in any of us that is diluting who we are as salt, might we just repent of that and cry out to you now for a new heart. God, if there's anyone here that has just been walking away from you, Jesus, the light of the world, might we now come back so that we might be a reflection of you, Jesus, to the world in which you've strategically placed us. That we might light a path so that people would see you. God, I do pray that if there is anyone in here that is is not certain of that identity as a child of God and still separated from you, living in darkness, If that's you, cry out to Jesus. Declare him to be God. Repent of sin and trust in Jesus. His perfect life, the cross that he endured to pay penalty for sin, and his resurrection bringing life. God, please give us this church, your church, Genesis, God, I pray you would light us up, that we would shine. God, that we would be salt, creating thirst, creating a taste in people's mouths for who you are. God, we can't do this apart from you, and so we just ask that you would do in us what we cannot do for ourselves.